Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Getting to the future fast is sometimes important, especially if you're in an industry that's a dying industry. Problem is, when do you know your industry is a dying industry? And when do you know that your market is about to close down? Well, not easy. Arnstadt is a relatively small town in Germany with a population of about 28,000. And back in 2019, the diggers moved in. So what were they doing? Well, they were breaking the ground up and laying the foundations for a new factory on the outskirts of that town. It was on the site of a solar panel plant that had been there previously, now defunct. It covers a space of around 23 hectares. That's about 100 football pitches, just to get it in your mind. And the plant cost about 2 billion US dollars. So what was it? Well, it was Germany's First, gigafactory. Capacity to manufacture batteries for hundreds of thousands of electric cars every year. BMW, Mercedes-Benz and Audi are some of the big German brands that could benefit from the Arnstead plant. It was being financed by a very small Chinese company that was only founded some eight years earlier in a small fishing town in Ninji, which is better known for tea plantations and yellow croaker. The company... CATL, Contemporary Amperex Technology, already had deals to supply batteries to Volkswagen and BMW. And they were trying to reinvent themselves, moving away from producing internal combustion engines to battery technologies. They also had an agreement to supply batteries to Daimler for electric buses and trucks. So German industry was turning to China. German car makers wanted to move away from internal combustion engines and fossil fuels and to become greener. And one way to do this would be to make electric cars, but they didn't have their own technology to do that, so they had to buy it in. It's one of those make-or-buy decisions. But in this case, if you haven't got the technology, well, you need to get someone who has and who can make it for you. And it's probably a cheaper option. It keeps the costs lower, but it will mean a loss of jobs for all those people that were making previously the engines for the internal combustion engine cars and vehicles. Now, what strikes me as interesting about this move to transition quickly into the new future that they wanted to create in the German auto industry, remember they'd had some pretty bad press for some years about their diesel cars and the false um, claims to low emissions from some of those vehicles, and there were lots of lawsuits that went on. So it would make sense to get clean quickly. And if you think about what they actually did, I've coined a new phrase here because what they've actually done is outsourced in-house. Now, does that make sense? Because actually what they've done is they've gone to China for the technology, but instead of getting it made in China, they've brought the Chinese firm across to Germany, to this small village, and built the factory in Germany. Now, it will obviously employ some German labour, but there'll have to be quite a few technical staff 
that would have to come from the Chinese business. So, new phrase, outsource in-house. The big driver for this change, of course, is a political driver from the EU's sign-up to climate change targets. And that was putting pressure on all those manufacturers where they weren't going to be able to meet those particular climate change targets by 2030. And so they had to act fast if they were to meet the target. I think another interesting aspect of this supply chain for battery technology is that the car makers were so complacent to think that the industry would just continue into the future producing cars with internal combustion engines using fossil fuel and they'd pay lip service only to all this climate change talk and policy making. But now they were getting a real wake-up call. Obviously, companies like Tesla had already invested heavily in battery technology and were making battery technology in cars a reality. Whereas the traditional automakers in Germany and elsewhere didn't really believe in the concept of the electric car as a complete replacement for the internal combustion engine. And it was that that held them back, so it was a lack of vision. It's one of those moments where the industry itself was frozen in time. It was of the mindset that the past was the present and the present was going to remain into the future. Remember those lessons from Kurt Lewin when he talked about ideas freezing in time? And the first thing you've got to do is unfreeze them to get change. Well, it was one of those. They didn't really unfreeze the idea. They were still locked into that mindset to keep the combustion engine. And to some extent, it also reflects what Ted Levitt talked about in Marketing Myopia. A lack of vision. A lack of realising what the competitive marketplace was going to be like into the future. It's not going to be about internal combustion engine cars fossil fuels on its way out, it might take a longer time than so far indicated, but it's going, and it's going to be replaced. As the technology refines over the next few years, and it's easier to put together batteries that will last longer, and remain in use for longer, and will hold the charge for longer, then it's going to be a very different landscape in the market for cars and that's on the cusp of change right now but once the end comes it will come quickly and if you're not moving into that future if you don't get to that future fast you'll be in danger not only will you not sell cars but your business might not exist into that future time One simple move, effectively China had moved up the value chain very quickly. And whereas Germany would be providing all the technology and advanced manufacturing to other countries in the world, suddenly China was the competitor. And competition from all parts of Southeast Asia in South Korea, Taiwan and China was taking a reposition of the global market. And so emerging are clusters, these places in Germany where the battery technology and all the skills associated with the manufacture of batteries is located in one place or nearby places, and that will encourage further development. 
and that's going to be important to establish that cluster for the future development of battery technologies for the German auto industry as it moves to the future. The only way to claim a position in the new future economy is, of course, to innovate. And innovation in this sense is the innovation of battery technology to establish electric car manufacture and vehicle manufacture. Of course, everybody seems to be betting heavily that that is going to be the future of transport. And one can't help but feel it may not be. There might be newer technologies that come along and displace those existing technologies, as has always happened in most industries. For example, what happens if hydrogen vehicles become the focus of attention? Or if there's a new fuel or a new approach to transport, perhaps a return to public transport to move people around and individual vehicles take a different position in the market. And are people going to be able to afford all the new technologies as auto vehicles become more and more expensive? Obviously businesses will have to, to transport goods around, but will individuals be able to have their personal transport? Well, wealthy people will, of course, as they always have. But perhaps the age of the mass-produced car might be over. Meanwhile, back in China, they've been busy building their own car companies with Neo and Xpeng and other businesses. And it won't be long before we see Chinese vehicles on European and US streets. They will be competing with Germany, the European car makers and the US car makers. And one has to ask the question, is there room for all these companies? And so it's a bit like Prahalad and Hamill said quite a long time ago now, getting to that future first is perhaps the most important step that these organisations can take. Those that are slow to get to that future will be the ones, probably, that drop out of the market. And so it's interesting if a 130-year-old Mercedes company will be able to last the distance. We hope so, but I'm sure there'll be some big names that will drop out of the market as the battery technology changes, innovates, and they're unable to grasp that future. Of course, Mercedes has been a company that did always grasp the future and made some great innovations in automobile manufacture. Now, if you're a car enthusiast, you will remember the brands such as the MG, the British sports car company, and what a great brand it was. But apparently... MG is owned by SIC, which is a state-owned Chinese business. And they're already manufacturing electric cars using CATL batteries. So it's interesting how things change, isn't it? For China's ruling party, of course, they'd be very pleased if electric cars did take off because it would solve major problems for the Chinese cities where they have massive pollution problems. And it would also reduce their oil imports, so they wouldn't have to import as much oil to drive cars. Petrol and diesel would be a no-no. This change in the car market, of course, is creating millionaires or billionaires in unusual places. So here we have the Chinese communist regime making millionaires of people in their own country. Paradox, isn't it, really? 
The research and development of batteries has been slow, and that's one of the big hold-ups, really. It's been a strategic error, particularly on the part of established automobile manufacturing businesses. But that's because they never really believed in it, as we discussed at the start of the programme. There are other interesting names that are moving into the industry. And one of those I came across was TDK. Now, you might remember TDK as an electronics company. And also, I don't know if you ever had those cassette tapes, but lots of those were made by TDK. I've still got a few around. So there was a there's a big change happening, not only in the industry, but in what businesses are morphing into and what they will actually do to sustain and maintain their own existence into that future. Now, for the second half of this uh, episode, I want to focus more attention on getting to the future fast and why it's so important. And I've given you the example using the battery technology firm and how that came about. But now let's turn our attention to that future and how you get there. And you might want to think about your own organization as you listen to my comments here. I'm sure you'll find it useful. Procrastination is the thief of time, as they say. But not today, until tomorrow, or later. What you could do today is definitely a way to slow down getting to that future fast. And many organisations delay. So time is of the essence, as I've said in previous podcasts. If you put off things, and you don't get things done, you don't move towards that future fast, then it may not just be a day, it might be forever that you never get there. And so getting to the future is important, essential, and it needs to be fast. So the firms that are able to do that, marshal resources and get to that future quicker, reap benefits. They get the rewards. Being first is often a guarantee of future profitability. Being late is not just lost profitability, It's lost opportunity. And if you don't create opportunities, existence is threatened. And you'll see in many industries, firms that become complacent. And they have their own timelines, but they take no account of what's happening externally. And if you don't get to the future fast, your competitors will. And they will limit your opportunities. So getting to the future fast is not simply an option. It's a necessity. And in supply chains, time is of the essence. To get to the future first, we need good intelligence. The firm needs to be like a well-oiled machine. And every part, every cog in the machine needs to be efficient and effective at what they do. And it's a culture. It's a culture in the organization of wanting to do better and serve customers better through the system and the processes and the policies that the firms have. And it's about being vigilant about what's happening in that external environment and seizing opportunities as they arise. It's about having capability and capacity to do that. And that can be difficult for some organisations, but for other organisations where they're agile, flexible, responsive, they find that process 
much easier. And so it's essential for your organization to be agile, flexible, and responsive. And listen to the customer, because the customer will guide you to the future fast. Having systematic approaches with time set aside for thinking and strategic planning is an essential part of this process. Not to get bogged down in the day-to-day operations, even though they are essentially very necessary. They can't be ignored, but you have to create space to have the thinking in place and the teams being proactive about getting to that future fast. And so it's creating mechanisms, thought processes and attitudes that can do the impossible. And it's creating the possible out of those seemingly impossible situations. Strategy, of course, is an important part of this. You have to know the direction of travel and you have to create the space to make that happen. And you need everybody in the organization having the purpose to do that. Now, this isn't saying that everybody in that organization has to think the same. They don't. You want people in the organization who are individual, who are creative, and have different talents. But they have to have a common purpose. And the common purpose is unified through leadership. And it's the leadership that's perhaps one of the most important skills here to assemble and marshal those resources and point them in the direction to that future and unleash the talent so that the future arrives fast. For Alfred Chandler, it was about strategy and structure. And which came first? For me, strategy is the most important thing. It's the strategy that counts. For Michael Porter, it was about cost or differentiation and focus. And for me, it's about those things, but focus is perhaps the most important in the context of getting to the future fast. You have to know about cost. You have to look at that cost and keep your costs low. And I guess in these inflationary times we live in presently, people will have to relearn how to be cost effective. And they'll have to also learn that you have to invest in inflationary times for a future that you want to make happen. And it's about making that future happen. Keeping an eye on the competition, of course, is important. And it's essential. But you mustn't get distracted. You must stay focused on what it is that you want to achieve. And you must have leadership in place that's able to motivate, organize and move to that future fast. And that's the key to getting to that future fast. And why is it so important to get to that future fast? It's important not simply for existence, but to generate future profit and to be an effective organization that serves the customers better than anybody else. So customer focus here is the key to having good strategy. After all, it's the customers that are going to pay those profits. It's as Peter Drucker said many years ago, the best way to predict the future is to create it. When we think about firms creating the future, sometimes a firm might be in a failing industry and decides to reinvent itself and they morph into something else. And there are many examples throughout the history of business where that's happened. 
If you think about Toyota as a sewing machine company, becoming an automobile company, and you can think about other big corporations that have done something similar, and there are many of them. But let's think a little bit about creating the future. How do you set about the task? Creating the future is a symbiotic relationship between the firm, the industry, and its customers. In other words, it's about understanding the competitive marketplace, the industry. It's understanding the external factors influencing industry and firm, and of course, the customer. And it's about understanding the relationship directly with the customer. And the customer has become an interactive part of the process of development and, of course, a source of research. And in that respect, the development of new products, new services, comes about through a co-creative process. In other words, customers deciding that they want access to a particular type of product or service and finding ways to influence organisations to make that. And the mechanism for doing so has often been the market. And the market determines allocation of resources and value. And so this idea of co-creation has become stronger. Originally, we might have thought about that process loosely. In other words, a weak signal from customer to firm. But what's happened in more recent times is that those signals are more directly connected and they're much stronger. And that comes about through other developments, such as social media, the internet, and the direct relationships that can be established through different communication channels. More than ever, in the contemporary world of business, we have opportunities as well as challenges. And when we think about getting to the future fast, one of the big opportunities we now have is that we're able to process much more data about all those interactions and all those parts of the system. We're able to gain visibility over our supply chains and we're able to use artificial intelligence to observe and predict some of the changes in behaviour that might happen if we were to look at different impacts on the system. So for example, simulation techniques have a great part to play, examining how the parts interact and what would happen if something, some event occurs or something happens in the system. And we can more easily look at the data and we have simulated evidence, not real evidence, but simulated evidence about the likelihood of what will occur in the system. And I think that's an important change that's happened in the past few years. We have much more opportunity to co-create value in the supply chain by using the technology. So transformation to that digital future to understand technologies is critical in changing the way in which we view, interact, experience and understand the world around us in our organisations, in our firms, in our supply chains, in our industries. And that will benefit everybody. So there we have it. That's why getting to the future fast is necessary. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you found out something new. I hope it was worth your time. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time in the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Bye for now.
Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.